I think this was perhaps the longest month of the year for my kids, and probably kids all over the world. As Christmas got closer and closer, they would always ask, how many sleeps? Until Christmas, that's how we say it in our house. Sleeps seem to be measurable for them, they understand that. Days seem to get a little fuzzy, um, because for both my kids, some, everything happened the other day. I mean, if, this morning, year ago, it was always the other day. So sleeps is how we count down to Christmas. And James's preschool teacher made them this really cool uh, paper chain, red and green, you know, paper links with the same number of rings as there were days left until Christmas. And so every night before bed, we would pray and then tear a ring off. And that was a big deal because then they'd get excited, which was not always great right before bed, but it was one less sleep until Christmas. You know, they would be so pumped up about that. And uh, they would ask, you know, how many days? And what's weird is the bigger the number, the more okay with it they were. You know, how many days left? 20. Okay, 20 sleeps till Christmas. All right. When it was like three sleeps until Christmas, it was like still <laughs> three. And they would have a hard time with that. And so uh, I, just as it draw closer, they struggled more and more and more. And so actually it was on Christmas morning, we got up and we walked into, actually no, we didn't walk into, we he got ratted out. James came into the kitchen and he said, Jude's opening presents. And so we walk in there and Jude had torn into one of the presents. Luckily it was his. And, and he's sitting there like, you said Christmas. We said no more sleeps last night. This is what we're doing. Like, we're like, what are you doing? And he's just like, hey, this is, it. what? Like he just had no concept that there was anything wrong with it. He was so excited. And you know, I remember that agonizing. I remember that waiting. I remember being a kid and it feels like Christmas is never coming. Everyone tells you Christmas is coming, but it feels like it's never, ever going to get here. And I remember asking, okay, when can I open presents? Can I please open presents? And one time I remember peeking at one. My mom was working in the other room and I crawled, army crawled under our tree and I found one with my name on it and I peeled it back and it was Batman returns on VHS uh, with Michael Keaton, you know, the real Batman, if you are a kid of the 80s. And so, but then I immediately got scared that, oh no, mom's going to find out. And I wrapped it back up and then on Christmas Day, I was like, oh yay, Batman. And I just told her like a couple of years ago, like I finally worked up the nerve, like, mom, I, I got to clear my conscience. I peaked once, you know, when I was a kid. And, uh, but I do remember one Christmas, I hounded my mom can I open one early? Can I open one early? And she kept saying no, but finally I wore her down. And on Christmas Eve, she said, you can open one present. And I remember to this day what it was. It was a Lego Technic dirt bike. That is the actual set that I got when I was a kid. I begged her to let me open it up, and I put it together on Christmas Eve, and I thought it was so amazingly awesome that I talked my mom into letting me have one early. Um, and, you know... I, there's something about that waiting that as an adult it's gotten easier. And in fact, I even kind of appreciate the wait. Uh, because again, we've all, we all say this, you know, man, the older you get, the more time flies by. And you realize that these holidays, they, they last for but a moment. And then you're like, oh, it's after Christmas already. Oh my gosh, it's Christmas is over. And so that anticipation, it seems to prolong the moment. It seems to prolong those events that I wish would last longer anyway. And so I appreciate that a little bit more. Uh, now, today we're wrapping up our Spread the Cheer series, and what we've been doing in this series is we're looking at the songs that, are, that take place in the Christmas story. There are several people in the Christmas story who just kind of randomly break out in song, like they live in a musical or something, and so we've been kind of walking through those songs. If you've missed any of the weeks in this series, you can catch those on our website. Uh, the website address for our, on our updated site is loamecc.com slash resources. Um, unfortunately, last week's didn't get recorded, but 
the other two weeks are, are up there. Now, what we've covered, the ground we've covered so far, is we've looked at the song that Mary, Jesus' mom, sang after she was visited by the angel Gabriel, and he said, you're going to have a baby. She sang a song. We looked at the song that a priest named Zechariah, who turned out to be the dad of John the baptizer, we looked at the song he sang after he got a visit from the angel Gabriel and said, hey, now that you're an old man, you're going to be a dad, which he sang a song of joy, but I think I'd be like, oh, dear God, you're so mean. Why would you do this to me now that I have all of my youth gone? But he did it anyway. And then last week on for our Christmas celebration, we looked at the song that the angels sang to the shepherds to proclaim the birth of Jesus. Now today we are looking at a song of a man named Simeon, and we'll be in Luke chapter 2, verses, uh, starting in verse 22. If you want to go ahead and get your hands on a Bible, uh, there should be a, a black hardback one near you, or if you brought one, that's awesome. Or if you prefer the digital route, and you want to get out your phone or a tablet, and you want to use your favorite Bible app, there's tons of great Bible apps out there. I've got a couple on my phone that I use regularly, and there's just something cool about having the Bible in your pocket all the time, because you'll spend time waiting, getting your tires rotated or your oil changed, and you need something to do. Rather than look at some magazine that's two and a half years old, you can pull out your phone and actually read a little bit of God's Word. It can be very productive and very handy. So let's look at the story of Simeon and how he comes into the birth story of Jesus. Because most of you probably are like Simeon. I don't remember him in the Christmas story. But um, since we are now after Christmas, we're looking at the little bit of the story that takes place right after Jesus was born. It says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that's Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, most of that is very confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, so let me clear that up before we move on. There's actually two things happening here. Both of them are happening at the temple in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph don't live in Jerusalem, so whether they stayed in Bethlehem since Jesus was born, or whether they went home and made another trek to Jerusalem, we don't really know, um, but at this point in time, they are coming for two different things. The first is they're consecrating Jesus. The law of Moses said that every firstborn male, whether people or animal, would be dedicated, in a sense, to service to God. And so they are doing what they, the law required them to do. They're taking Jesus to the temple to dedicate him to the Lord. The second thing is Mary's purification. According to the law of Moses, women who gave birth to a son were considered unclean for 40 or 41 days, depending on how you count it. And... Um, so they went to the temple and they offered a sacrifice of two small birds because they were poor and that um, would make Mary clean then if she could go back to uh, worshiping in the normal, typical way the Israelites did. And basically, all you need to know from these little verses, because it's we don't do any of this anymore and it doesn't really have any practicality in our life. You're not going to go to Jerusalem and dedicate your babies to the Lord or you know take two small doves and kill them to cleanse yourself after you had bir had, uh, gave birth. We have two boys. We killed no birds. No birds were harmed in the birthing of my children, right? And so um, the reason that we kind of need to know this is it just simply tells us that Mary and Joseph were very faithful people. They loved God's word. They knew it very well, and they tried their hardest to obey it. So they were faithful and devout and trying to follow the Lord. And then we go on, Luke 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He is also a very faithful Israelite. 
And he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It, was, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So you have a guy named Simeon um, that, again, he, we don't, he doesn't make it onto our Christmas cards and into our manger scenes. But like Mary and Joseph, he was a faithful Israelite, and it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now that word consolation always confused me after I became a Christian and I would read the Christmas story because the only time in my life growing up that I ever heard the word consolation was on a game show. I loved watching The Price is Right. It was the best part, sometimes the only redeeming part of being sick and having to stay home from school was watching The Price is Right and watching The Wheel of Fortune. And the only time the word consolation would come up would say, would be when the host would say, oh, I'm so sorry you weren't today's big winner, but that, but you know, you're not going home empty-handed. Rod, tell her what she's won. And he'd say, well, Beth, we've got a lovely consolation prize for you today. You're going home with a membership to the Jelly of the Month Club or something like that, you know. And, and so she would, and so they give out this consolation prize. And so what consolation meant for me my whole life was the prize the loser got. And so I never understood when I was reading this, like, oh, he was waiting for the loser's prize of Israel. And I, I didn't quite get that. But the word consolation is simply, it means to console or to bring healing. They give you a consolation prize because you're probably bummed out that you didn't win. And they want you to go home still a fan of their, their game show, so you will talk favorably of it. And so they give you a prize to make you feel better as they boot you off the stage. Like, that's what that is. And so Jesus, what this means is that Jesus would be the consolation of Israel or the healing of Israel after a long and painful history. And so it says that God had told this guy Simeon, you're not going to die until you see this Messiah, you see this Savior that has been born. You see, and God had been promising this Messiah for Ever. I mean, there's a hint at Jesus in the book of Genesis. Right after Adam and Eve eat the fruit in the Garden of Eden and there's the fall of mankind, there's a hint at Jesus even that early on in the Bible. So God had been hinting and promising a Messiah for literally ever. Okay, And so they had been waiting. Israel had spent their lives waiting, centuries waiting for this Messiah. And God would keep promising it ever so often. He promised it to Abraham. He promised this Messiah to David. And he promised through the prophets that came and went that there would be a Messiah who would come and be the Savior of all people. And so Israel kind of just spent their lives waiting. Generation after generation lived waiting and died waiting. But Simeon gets told, the wait is over. You are going to spend most of your life waiting like all of your ancestors, but there's going to be a day when you will see with your own eyes the Savior. You will see with your own eyes what God has been preparing since almost the beginning of time. We move on. Verse 27. Moved by the Holy Spirit, he went into the temple courts, meaning that he just happened to go in there and bump into Mary and Joseph when they happened to be there. This is what we call coincidence. I don't know if there is such a thing. God likes to make things just so happen in such a way that we bump into situations and people when we need to. So moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, and then the song comes, but we're, we're going to pause real quick right there. Um, 
I think this situation has got to be a little strange because, like I said, Mary and Joseph, they don't live in Jerusalem. They probably don't know this guy named Simeon, and he just walks up and takes the baby out of her hands. I have seen some kind and sweet and meek women turn homicidal when people mess with their babies, right? And so this seems a little odd to me, like, don't poke the mama bear, right? Um, you know, not everybody's cool with you even rubbing their belly when they're pregnant. You can't even get to the baby yet, and they're like, hey, watch it. That's mine, okay? And then they have a baby, and you don't just walk up, especially strangers off the street, say, hey, let me have your baby, unless they're a politician, I guess. That's some, for some reason acceptable, right? And so they have, he takes the baby, and I kind of wondered if Mary and Joseph were just, like, going with it because, so many weird things have happened up to this point. They both got visited by angels. They're, they have to give birth in a barn. And then some shepherds show up and say, we saw an angel too. And then there's wise men somewhere in the story. I wonder if at this point in the story, they're just like, you know what? Whatever. You know, this, it's all weird. Who, I don't know who this guy is. God, But sure, God's up to something. Here's the baby. Maybe that's what they were doing. But he comes up and he takes the baby from her. And I kind of get it, though, when you look at it from Simeon's perspective. He was told. The wait is going to be over. You're going to see the Messiah, see this, this man who will save the world, who will be the redemption and the healing of all Israel. And when he finally sets his eyes on this sweet, innocent child who represents hope and freedom and grace, this baby <coughs> excuse me, that God has been promising since Adam and Eve, how could he not take the chance to hold this child in his arms? And so he finally receives what he's been waiting for his entire life, a glimpse of the Savior. And that's what causes him to break out in this amazing song to God. Verse 29. He says, Sovereign Lord, I'm not going to sing these for you. I haven't sang any of them so far. Uh, that's good. Uh, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Whoop, excuse me there. Oh, man, I'm really jumping around. There we go. Um, now, I'm, I can't talk about the whole song because we don't want to be here all day, but there's one thing I wanted to highlight that I just found amazing in this, and it's in verse 29 if you still got a Bible open. He says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. He's basically saying, God, you did what you said you would. Now I can die in peace. I'm ready to go on. You've, you've told me this would be my purpose, that I would see salvation. I have lived my purpose, and now I can go. Now I feel like I'm done and I'm ready for what's next. He always trusted that God would bring the salvation. He always trusted that God would, would save the world through this baby or whatever, however he met the Savior. But now, not only does he see, he holds the salvation in his hands, and he knows that this child will be the healing of not only Israel but the whole world. And he knows he's probably not going to get to see this baby do all the things that he hopes this baby will do. Uh, everything in the story hints that Simeon's an older guy, uh, that he's spent a lot of his, his life waiting. He knows he's probably not going to see Jesus grow up and teach amazing things or perform amazing miracles or do whatever he has to do to actually bring this salvation to the world. He knows he's not going to see that. He only sees this introductory part that God has brought the Messiah into the world and he trusts that from this point on, God's going to do something great. And he says, okay, I've seen it and now I'm ready to go to heaven. And what I love about his perspective here is that he kind of sees 
my purpose in this life, my time, what I'm here to do, it's kind of over. And so once he's done, once God has come through for him, what he sees he's supposed to do in this life, he just turns his eyes to what's next. And for him, he thinks that's heaven. He says, I'm old. This is what I'm here to do. What's next for me is salvation, ultimate salvation that God has been working out through this small child. I've seen him. I trust God. I trust in what God's going to do through this baby. I'm ready. Let's, let's go on to what, something a little bit better than this. And I want to... Take this to a non-cheery place for just a moment, because I, I think what Simeon, the perspective he has here, is so rare. This idea that, as far as earth is concerned, the best is behind me, and now I'm going to just be excited for what's next. Because it's very rare for us to have that same type of a thing. Um, I think far too often, our hope is not what's next. Our hope is in what's here, what's now, what's going on in my life. And I think even for Christians, I think we are so tied into having a comfortable life, having a life that we, are, uh, that we want, a life that we've dreamed of, a life like everybody else around us because we live in a very blessed country. Our hope gets tied to the things and the situations that are here. We hope to be happy now. We hope to meet someone and fall in love. We hope to have a family, and we hope to spend years and years together. We hope everyone's healthy. We hope for happy Christmases, happy birthdays. We hope for sunny days and cloudless skies, and we want all of that right right now. But here's the problem, is that life doesn't always deliver those things that we hope for here and now. And when we get to a point where maybe we're in the pit and and maybe everything, the best days of this world, we acknowledge they're behind us. What I see far too often from people who have spent their whole lives in church People who have gone to church and say, yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, I want salvation. Yes, I want heaven. What I often see, because I've spent a lot of time doing funerals. I've spent a lot of time in hospitals with people who were in bad situations, people who were facing death. What often I see far too often is rather than saying, okay, this life disappointed me, this hope, there's nothing left here for me, and looking forward, when our hope on this earth is shattered, we get depressed. We get angry. We get resistant because and we get mad at God because the things I hope for didn't come true and when I see someone who spends their whole life sitting in pews praising God talking about how you know my hope is in Jesus and yet when it comes time to actually put their hope in Jesus because this life has nothing left when that person gets depressed and gets angry what that tells me is they spent their life hoping in the wrong things Because this life will always disappoint you. It will always let you down. The things that we really want, they're never going to happen. Are we always going to have every happy holiday? Are we going to always have people that we love with us every second of every moment of our lives? Absolutely not. And we all know that to be true, and yet for some reason we still hope that this life will be perfect. We still hope that this life will be everything we've ever wanted it to be. And this life always, always lets us down. My, uh, my mom's uncle, my great uncle Ray, um, towards the in- end of his life, a few years before he passed away, he had a really, really bad stroke, and it left him paralyzed on, I think, the left side of his body. And he had been a, a faithful 
Catholic his whole life. I mean, he went to Mass. My grandpa was a faithful Catholic. I mean, it was like church doors are open, you're there. My mom grew up in Catholic school and nuns and rulers and the whole shebang. I mean, they, my grandpa believed in the, the salvation that came in Christ, and he wanted to be, as far as he understood, faithful to that. And so my uncle Ray, great-uncle Ray, when he um, ended up having the stroke, he, he became so angry. And he, he said, you know what, I don't believe in God anymore. After 80-some years of of absolute, dedicated faith. He said, I don't believe in God anymore because old age is so painful and so awful. I'm losing family members, and now this is happening, and I can't take care of myself. This is so awful that there must be no God at all. And after kind of seeing his situation, I'm not sure he gave up faith. I think he was just so angry at God because the things he was hoping in got taken away. The things that he was hoping in disappointed him. And I think he was like all of us. I mean, don't we all hope that we live a perfectly healthy life and that we're perfectly healthy and when one day we just die in our sleep? Isn't that what we all think? I mean, don't you kind of think that's, I mean, you don't even hope for that. We all just kind of think that's going to happen to us. I mean, and, and so often I've talked to people when th- something different happens and we're so shocked that something bad happened to us that our health failed, that we had a stroke or a heart attack or whatever. Okay, and so when, when, that happened. He was so furious at God. He was so angry. And I think it's because when his hope, the things he'd hoped in his whole life got shattered, he didn't know what to do. He saw no hope left because his hope had not been in what's next. His hope had not been in one day God pulling him out of this painful world and into perfection. His hope had been in somehow that this life would just end up being everything he wanted it to be. And it would not be that. And then after a few years, luckily, his anger subsided, and my grandpa spent some time talking with him, and some of the family spent some time talking with him. He stopped being so angry, and he realized that his hope had been misplaced, and he realized that he'd been hoping in the wrong thing, and he put his faith in God, put his hope in the right things, and died believing. And my fear is that so often, even those of us who are Christians, we talk about heaven, and we say we want heaven, but that's nothing more than words. It's nothing more than lip service because there will come a day when the best days, when our days of youth and vitality and our days of purpose, the days when we used to help people and serve and do things and feel useful, those days will at some point be behind us. And if your hope is only in those things, earthly things, you will be left with hopelessness and despair and depression and sadness and anger that those things are no longer with you. Or, if your hope has been in heaven, you can say, okay, I had, a, I had a good life. God gave me purpose for a season. It's now done. I was never meant to spend here forever. It's time for me to go on home. It's time for me to go on to what is best. The thing God has always been trying to get us to. And, you know, um, in some ways, I think the sooner God smashes your hopes in this world, the better. The sooner God shows you that this world cannot support us, the sooner God dashes your hopes, the better. Because like my Uncle Ray, he had a chance to recover. He had a chance to get his hopes smashed and to actually figure out, okay, I hoped in the wrong thing, what really mattered? And I'll be the first one to say, I don't want to be smashed. 
I don't want my hopes to be dashed and, and destroyed. I don't want that to happen because I know I put too much hope in my family. I know I, I, my kids are a little bit of an idol for me, and I want them to be happy. And I know that I am the same as everybody else. This isn't me just shaming you dirty, awful sinners for putting your hope in the wrong things. I do it too because God has blessed us with this life that is so good at times We want the best of it to last forever. So I'm in the same boat, and I don't want my hopes to be destroyed either. But the part of me that is reaching out for Christ and reaching out for God knows that the better God shows me that this world is a disappointment, the better, so that I can hope for something better, the thing that he has been leading humanity to forever, and that is salvation through Christ so that we can all spend eternity in heaven The sooner God lets me see that I have hope in Christ and it can help me through the painful moments, through the sad days, through the the depressions and through the losses, the sooner that I see those things, then I can have hope in a life where God will take us to a place where none of that stuff can even come close to touching us. Because in heaven, there is no pain, there are no tears, there are no losses, there are no goodbyes. And that is the life that we truly want. The problem is, we just want it here. And God said, that's not for here, that's for later. And so we've got to readjust our focus forward. So when the best days are behind us, when our purpose is over, rather than looking in the rearview mirror and and crying and being sad that those days are back, we look through the windshield and we are confident in Christ that the best days are yet to come. So, you know, before I came to, to Loami, I, I did a, I, w- I was at a church where um, the average age was probably around 70. There's about 30 people in the church, and the, a- the average age should have been higher, but there was a young family, a couple parents in their 40s, and they had a daughter in high school who was 16, and that skewed the age way younger. So the average age probably should have been up in the 80s somewhere, and so that meant, I was only there for about three years, but that meant I did a lot of funerals, and I did a lot of time in the hospital, and then I've come to Loami, and after about nine or so years here, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital and a lot of time doing funerals, and, and m- I've seen a little bit of both. I've seen people that had their hope in the right place, and they spent uh, their, their last days in peace. You notice, he, Simeon says, I can go in peace. I've, I've lived my purpose, my days of, of usefulness, my purpose is behind me, now I can go in peace. I have seen people die in peace, and though it's sad, there's a blessed silver lining in that. But at the same time, I have seen people not die in peace, but, but Christians, mind you, die in resistance, in anger, in frustration, in resentment, because they were so angry and so mad at God or their kids or whoever that this life was failing them. And I don't want that to be you. I want people to have your funeral be a celebration because they knew 100% where your hope was. Don was telling me about a client he had a few years ago who was... Um, um, I think she, he said she was in her 90s, and he, she was so positive about getting older, and, and he, they were talking about it one day, and she said, eh, you know, as long as you got your marbles, it's not so bad, <laughs> and I thought, that was, that's good, okay, but I just appreciate the positivity of that. I was talking with, with someone the other day who was talking about this lady that they, they meet, um, they go visit her every week in, in a nursing home, and they said she's so positive, and she wants to, to go to heaven, she's ready, she has a peace about going to her life because she knows that the best days are yet to come. Just that, that perspective of forward, not backwards, not mourning what's gone, but excited for what's to come. There's a change that takes place in your heart. But we cannot wait until the best days are behind us to make that decision that we're going to look forward. We've got to stop, start while we are still here, while we still have days left, we have got to start transferring our hope away from this life and on to heaven. 
And I love how Simeon did that. I love how he said, okay, it's done here. I've done it. Now, God, let's do this. Let's go home. And I hope we can be excited for heaven. I hope it's not that thing that we want to get around to eventually. I got a lot of things on my honeydew list. That, that's how I treat my honeydew list, you know. That's, that shouldn't be how I treat the salvation of all mankind, the redemption of my soul, and the perfect life for all millennia. I shouldn't just hope it's that thing I get around to one day. I should be excited that one day God's going to free me from this painful mess that we call life. And so my hope is that we would all be looking forward. Do not put your faith in this world because it will always disappoint you. And you've experienced that to some degree already. You've lost people. You've suffered. We've all, we've all been through those moments that show us, that, that are, are God's way of showing us this is not our hope. And if you put your hope here, it will always, always disappoint you. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but eventually it will. But as believers, for those of us who are believers in Jesus, the, the salvation that comes only through him, it shows us that our hope cannot be here, but there. And so put your hope not in this life, but in Jesus, who will never ever, ever disappoint you.